So it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Yes, even the drought also touched Elijah's life as well because it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land and that affected him too. And, and, and the thing we have to remember is that God will take care of us as well. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name You are amazing God All-powerful, untamable, awestruck with Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Elijah saw the flow of the brook slowed down until it dried up. His source of water was gone. God showed Elijah that it is hard to sit beside a drying brook and taught Elijah that it is much harder than facing the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Why does God let our brooks in life dry up? He wants to teach us not to trust in his gifts, but in himself. He wants to drain us of self as he drained the apostles by 10 days of waiting before Pentecost. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues in chapter 17, starting in verse 7 in the book of 1 Kings. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And so he, he goes to this other place, and this, this river is actually on the eastern side of the Jordan River, somewhere just a little bit halfway up from the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And from the mountains, it flows from the mountains, and then it goes down into the Jordan Valley. And this freshwater source was where God told um, Elijah to hide and we're going to find out the reason he's going to have to hide because in the very next chapter we're going to see that Ahab being so frustrated and angry with Elijah because he's, he's, he's stopping the rain for three and a half years it didn't rain no dew, no rain and so that dries up a lot of stuff and creates a lot of problems so Ahab is so frustrated with this prophet he wants to kill him and he's hunting him so God tells Elijah, Elijah, get out of Samaria and go across the Jordan over into the east and I want you to go lodge by the brook Cherith and I'll take care of you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and he stayed at the brook Cherith, notice, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens, notice, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Do you notice anything odd about this? Yeah, there's some things that are odd. Number one is a raven. God used an unclean, carrion-eating bird of prey to bring his servant food. In Leviticus, it tells us the, the kinds of things that they were allowed to eat, and this wasn't one of them. I mean, obviously, Elijah wasn't eating the raven, but the raven was an unclean bird. It ate off death. It picked the eyes off of the roadkill. It, it ate the, the blood and the, the, all the innards of everything on 
you know, snakes and rodents and conies and all kinds of stuff. But notice what it tells us in Leviticus 11, verse 13. Because these are the Jewish dietary laws. And yet God was going to allow this filthy, unclean bird, Levitically speaking, of course, to feed his servant. It says, And these you, these you shall regard as an abomination among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. And notice these birds, they all have a similar thing. They're all prey. The birds of prey, and they all eat meat. <laughs> among other things, most of them meat, eat meat of some kind. So he says, you can't eat, don't eat the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the kite, the falcon after its kind, and every raven after its kind. And he goes on and lists a bunch of other birds, but I'll stop there. But it was an unclean bird, and, and um, it would be very supernatural for a raven to get meat or bread and not keep it for itself. <laughs> you know, that's like putting a, a, a steak in front of two pit bulls. They're both going to go after it. It's very uh, supernatural for this bird of prey to bring him meat and to bring him bread. And yet, it was Levitically an unclean animal. Boy, that doesn't sound like God, does it? Why would he do something like that? In Job verse 38, verse 40, 41, it says, Who provides food for the raven? This is a question that God poses to Job and his three friends. Who provides food for the raven when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? Who does that? Who provides food for that raven? And the obvious answer is he does. God provides food for the raven. And now God is going to use ravens to provide food for his servant Elijah. Any normal Jew would be freaking out about this being fed by a raven. But notice, Elijah doesn't raise problems. Isn't it funny that even unclean birds from the Jewish, even them, God can use, and, and they will serve him and do his bidding. Funny how God can command the animal kingdom, and they obey him, but not man. We are the rebels. God will say, I need you to do something. We're like, Mm, is there any money in it? Am I going to get rich off of it? Am I going to get popular? Am I going to get more up-thumb votes on Twitter? I'm not doing it. If I'm not getting paid, I'm not going to do it. But God can command the animal kingdom. Didn't he do that in Noah's day? <laughs> Two of every creature the federal heads of all these different animals, he brings them aboard the ark, and God called them, and they obeyed him. Good thing, too, because if they didn't, we'd be picking their uh, fossils out of the rocks, as is happening today. But notice in verse 7, So it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Yes, even the drought also touched Elijah's life as well, because it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land, and that affected him too. And, and, and the thing we have to remember is that God will take care of us as well. And we're going to see God moving now into doing something even more 
interesting in Elijah's life. Notice in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise now and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. This place called Zarephath, it literally needs, it means refinery. And usually, probably in this town, they did a lot of metal smelting where they would heat up the metal and smelt the metal and, and purify it and stuff like that. That's what this name of this place means. And it's literally up in modern-day Lebanon right now between Sidon and Tyre. And it was right there in between them. And, um, and so he says, Arise uh, and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. And again, why did God provide, have him go to a Gentile city for provision? He had all of Israel before him. Why did he have him go to a Gentile city? And then and, and a possible reason is Ahab is going to start hunting him, and God knows this. And I think Elijah knew when he left Ahab that day, I'm sure by looking at the countenance of the man as he's saying, there's going to be no rain for, unless I say so. Sorry. And I can just see Ahab's face start to boil. And so God saw fit to have a Gentile widow take care of him. Unfortunately, nobody in Israel could be trusted to keep Elijah safe and take care of him. So what does God do? He sends him to the Gentiles. There's something about this that I really love. And notice this is in the Old Testament. There's so much about this that God is almost like hinting at the church. He's hinting at these Gentiles because is he just only a God for the Jews or is he a God to the Jews and the Gentiles? We know that he's a God of both. He's a God of both. And so he arose, verse 10, and he went to Zarephath. And when he had come to the city of the gate, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and says, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread also in your hand. And I can see her looking at him going, "Um, I can tell by the way you're dressed and your accent and everything about you, you're a Jew. Are you aware that there's a a famine in the land and um, you're asking me to give you water and then give you something to eat? Is there something wrong with you, Elijah? Man of God? There's something wrong with you? And so she said, notice what she said, as the Lord your God lives. I want you to pay close attention to what she says here and underline, as the Lord your God lives. Because now he's, she's basically saying, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have any, I, I do not have, um, any bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may make a little fire and we're going to eat this little cake that we have left and that's all we've got and then we're going to die. And you can hear in her speech and what she's saying, the desperation, the futility, really in her remark, And I want you to put verse 24 off on the margin of your Bible there next to verse 12. Just put verse 24 because it'll make sense as we get to it. Just put verse 24 because you're going to see something interesting happening to this woman in her dialogue and in her time that she has with Elijah. Right now it's his God, but we'll see later that it becomes her God as well. 
because of the witness of Elijah. But notice in verse 13 as we go on. So Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make for me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. Now doesn't that sound a little selfish? You know, the poor woman, she's there, and she's got a a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. She's going to make a couple last cakes, and that's all they've got. And she's thinking, I'm going to die after that because we're going to be starving to death. And Elijah says, well, make them for me and bring them to me first. Every man in this room, in your heart, you know that that's wrong. (laughs) Right? I mean, would you do that to a, a widow? A widow. (laughs) <laughs> who God really cares for widows, and especially the fatherless. And here, Elijah is saying, give me first the food to eat that you are going to eat, and do that first. And so she's got a decision to make. And everything within every male in this room is screaming, or ought to be, what is the matter with you, Elijah? Are you a selfish maniac? You know, what is your problem? And although people in the near and the Middle East, they are very hospitable, hospitable, excuse me, but there was something here larger at play. Elijah was inviting this woman to exercise her faith in Jehovah God and the God that, that he served, which she ultimately did. And in doing so, you know, it reminds me of Matthew. You might want to write this in the margin of your Bible too, Matthew chapter 6 verse 25 through 34, because I think it marries up to this verse very well. Matthew 6, verse 25 through 34. Let me read it to you. Because as, as he is you know, giving her the option to feed him first with all she had, she had to internalize back then, before Jesus even spoke it, what I'm about to share with you. Jesus said, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they, Jesus said? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? And do you think that that woman was worrying, thinking that if I give these two cakes to Elijah, this is it. This is all we have. I can't just go to Wegmans and get another pound of flour. I can't go to, down to the you know, little Italy down in, in New York and I can't buy a, a thing of olive oil. I can't. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I think the Spirit of God was working on this woman even before Jesus spoke this. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. And here's the verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That woman at that moment had to make that decision. She decided to seek first the kingdom of God. She decided by faith to believe 
in Elijah's God. That's why she said, the Lord, your God. She wasn't even saved at the moment. She wasn't even, uh, didn't have any faith in, her, in, in his God. But there was something happening here, and she just, she's like, you know what? I'm going to die anyway. <laughs> I might as well give it to you. But whatever her thought was, she goes ahead and gives it to Elijah. And then Elijah goes on in verse 14, back in our text down. He says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she obeyed Elijah, and God fulfilled his plan for him and Elijah. Uh, I'm sorry, God, um, she obeyed Elijah, and, and, and she fulfilled God's plan for him, and Elijah also fulfilled God's plan for her and her son as well. Yes, even a Gentile. I love that, don't you? And even in the Old Testament, it's written for us. And so verse 15, So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and, her, and he and her household ate for many days. Notice, as a result of her obedience, the Lord kept his part of the bargain. You can always count God to keep his end of the deal when we're obedient. It doesn't mean that you're not going to sweat a little bit, but he will take care of us. And so all of this noise in the world about, you know, a coming, you know, we're in a recession. I don't know if you knew that, but, you know, uh, you know, everyone's getting all uptight about this stuff. Hey, you know, you, you can store up if you want, but God is going to take care of you. There's no need to fear. The same what I just read to you in Matthew chapter 6 is true for us, by the way. Take no thought. It doesn't mean that you can't take precautions. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But you can never outgive God. And that's really what she did. She gave to Elijah. And in a sense, what she did was saying, I trust you, God. I don't even know you yet, but I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give this to him because I know he's your servant. And Lord, this promise that you've given me through him, I can only hope that that's going to come to pass. And it did. It literally came to pass. And um, so the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. And um, it's interesting. We're not going to go there, but Jesus mentions this woman in this account. Um, Off to the margin of your Bible, again, right in Luke chapter 4. Verses 24 through 30, because Jesus mentions this Gentile woman, this Gentile widow, what she did to Elijah, how she gave the cakes and gave everything to him out of faith. And God says, There's, I haven't seen faith like that in Israel. And yet this Gentile widow exhibited more faith. And, and as a result of, that, of saying that, when Jesus was in the synagogue at Nazareth, they got so mad at him because God, you know, Jesus said, you know, I haven't seen so great faith. But remember that one widow up in Zarephath, how she did that? I haven't seen such great faith not even in Israel. And they got so mad at him, they were going to throw him off the, 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 the cliff in Nazareth. And Jesus was able to get away from them. But notice now in verse 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house, she became, or he, he became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Yes, he died. He died. There was no breath left in him. And so 
She said to Elijah, "What have I have to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to make me to come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son?" Evidently, there was something that had happened in her life, perhaps some sin issue of her past, that caused her to believe that God was going to strike her son because of what she did. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to her husband, why was she a widow, and the details about her life, we really don't know. And he said to her, give me your son. And so he took him out of her arms, so he must have been young enough to where the mother could hold the son, and then Elijah could hold the son. And, he, and Elijah takes the young man from her and goes into the upper room, which in the houses in those days, they had uh, other rooms on top of their, uh, the, the top of their uh, place. And that's where Elijah stayed. And so he came to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his own bed. And then he cried out to the Lord. He cried out to Jehovah. Again, whenever you see L-O-R-D in all caps, it only means one thing. It means Yahweh. It means Jehovah. So he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on this widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? Yes. He is, he's dead. The son is dead. And so Elijah stretched himself out on the child three times. And and now this is something I don't really understand, but he literally laid on top of the child three times. And, And whether it was the compression of his body, the warmth, I don't know what it was. It was a miracle regardless. But he did that three times and he said, Oh Lord God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him because the soul of the child had left him Right? So the child died, right? <laughs> Why do I bring this up? Because people say, well, the child was just unconscious and somehow make this not really a miracle at all. Well, the Bible says his breath left him, his spirit left him, and God says his spirit will come back into him, and, he, and it did. So I'm either going to believe God or I'm going to believe some fancy pants at Yale who thinks he knows better than God. I'm going to choose God and not the fancy pants at Yale. Amen? Amen. Always choose God more than the fancy pants at whatever college of any subject. Choose God's wisdom over the wisdom of man, always. Verse 22 says, Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived And this is the first recorded instance, evidently, in Scripture where somebody is restored to life. Now, it doesn't mean that he was resurrected like Jesus was resurrected. Okay, that's a whole different resurrection because when this young man was revived, it just means his his heart began to beat and his lungs began to fill up with oxygen again and his brain began working again. But when Jesus was resurrected, three days after his death on the cross... That was a brand new, different body. Do you understand? Even Lazarus, the Lazarus, when, when Lazarus rose from the grave, when Jesus summoned him to come up, he didn't have his resurrection body either. Lazarus and this young man would have to die at some point in the future, and they would be laid into the ground and become dust. So then the woman said to Elijah, verse 24, Now by this, now here's the verse. You might want to put verse 12 off to the next of the of verse 24 here because remember how I said in verse 12, she said, 
and the Lord your God? Well, now look what she says. The woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. So it sounds like very obvious here that now it's the Lord. God is the Lord, her God now too. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.